KBLA Talk 1580. Introducing, I called you a delegation favorite earlier today. He's the author of more than 30 books and 100 scholarly articles and reviews. He's uh, holding the Moore's Professorship of History and African American Studies, University of Houston. Um, and he's got a couple of new books out. I feel like I say that almost every time he's on, um, that he's got a special um, book signing event. Um, and uh, the I Dare Say, a Gerald Horn reader is uh, among his, you know, you're a scholar when you have a reader uh, based on your books. Um, Dr. Gerald Horn, um, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Second book is Acknowledging Radical Histories um, with uh, with Chris Time Steele. And you're in town. Yay. It must be the Pan-African Film Festival <laughs> if you're in the if you're going to be in the vicinity. Well, absolutely. I, I landed LAX on Friday. You know that there's a documentary at the film festival on Amiri Baraka. Yeah, I heard. Gathered. I need to see that before I can make any comment. Have you seen it? No, I'm looking forward to it. I'll probably see you at the theater at King and Crenshaw. Yeah, you probably will. <laughs> um, so, Dr. Horn, congratulations. Uh, now, you know, I mean, you, you you are very prolific in putting out books, but now um, other folks are, are um, really, you know, more focused on studying you, which I think is, is awesome. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. I got so many skeletons in my closet. I'm getting <laughs> Well, everybody has skeletons in their closet. Um, but uh, congrats on your um, on your event, and I hope folks will come out. I will definitely be there. Um, it is oh, this weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't miss it. Um, Dr. Gerald Horn will be at the. Um, the book signing this Saturday from 1 to 3 in Africatown. It's at the Center for Black Power, right? That is correct. And, uh, 1 to 3. by Melina Abdullah. Well, that's, uh, that's going to be a, a great event. I'm sure you're going to be speaking, right, and signing books. Oh, speaking for sure. <laughs> yeah. I almost don't know what to, where to start because there's so, so much going on. Um right now in the world but i guess you know kind of to the alarming trend that you you have referenced um to me the republicans trying to impeach uh, the homeland security secretary is 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 disturbing because it seems like it is another demarcation of uh bad phase uh, for our democracy. <laughs> you want to call it the demise or a bad phase or however you want to look at it. How do you see it? Well, clearly, even the Wall Street Journal editorialized against the impending impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. And I must say, that shocked me because every morning when I open the Wall Street Journal's editorial page, I feel like I'm walking to the mouth of a dragon. <laughs> That they would come out against it, uh, I think, says it all. It's the first time in 150 years there's been an attempted impeachment of a cabinet secretary. Now, fortunately, it probably won't go anywhere because it has to get through the Senate, controlled by the opposition party. But it's part and parcel of the demagogy 
of the GOP with regard to immigration. You know that there was a deal worked out between the GOP Senator Lankford of Oklahoma and Mr. Biden, but then the orange man intervened and said that it would be handing a victory to his opponent in November, and so therefore the deal will apparently be scuttled. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's not amazing to me that that happened, but it is pretty wild that we know about it. Um, and yet it doesn't seem to have dented um, Trump's popularity, at least not yet, at all. It's like if you're actually concerned about the border, then this would be bad news. But if you are just concerned about winning elections and making uh, migrants and immigration uh, into an election issue, then, you know, then that would be good news. Well, the other issue about the border that we're going to have to keep an eye on is that increasingly Nikki Haley has been making a big deal about the Canadian border. That was one of her issues in New Hampshire. And I think that there's something else to that. Uh, I think that there's been a, a long-term trend in the United States historically with regard to anti-Canadian sentiment, believe it or not. It goes back to the War of 1812. The United States tried to take over Canada. Canada only has a population of about 35 million and the second largest country by territory in the United States, uh, blessed with immense natural resources. And supposedly, it's now a national security threat because apparently or allegedly, you have folks from Latin America who are going to Canada and then crossing the border into New England, or so that is what we are told. Yeah, I mean, that did surprise me, um, because I, what what it said to me is that they're not talking about the white folks in Canada coming coming to the United States. They're talking about the influx of Caribbean and um, Indian people that are already there in Canada. That's, I mean, I don't know. That was the only thing I could make of it. Well, sure. I mean, if you look at Quebec, uh, which is predominantly French-speaking, the allegation is, is that Haitians, who, of course, Haiti was formerly colonized by France, and many of them are conversant in French, that they're making their way to Quebec and then somehow making their way into Boston, uh, for example. And Nikki Haley, her, her, her campaign has become rather intriguing. You know, she had this big fundraiser yesterday on Wall Street with all of the billionaires flocking to her banner. Uh, the orange man has said that if you flock to her banner, don't expect any favors. You're out, yeah, yeah. In coming administration. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the Democrats feel that she can continue to wound Mr. Trump as long as she stays in the race. And I think that's one of the reasons why she's being propped up. Mm, interesting. You know, I, I had also read that, you know, billionaires were starting to fall in line for Trump. So I hadn't tracked that um, that fundraiser on yesterday. You say it was fairly successful. So that because her ability to stay in the race and continue bothering, um, you know, the 45th, the 45th president is dependent on those folks continuing to ante up. Right. So I don't um, I wasn't confident that they would, but you're saying it looks like they're going to hang at least for a while. Oh, yeah. At this fundraiser uh, was uh, Ken Langone, you know, that the NYU Medical School, New York University Medical School, carries his name. 
uh, Ken Griffin of Citadel Capital, uh, one of the top 0.00001% in the United States of America. Ditto Stanley Druckenmiller, uh, a noted capitalist. But also uh, Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase recalled that just a few days ago, he gave a shout out to Mr. Trump, although supposedly he's a Democrat. Mm. saying that Mr. Trump has been proven correct on a number of issues, he said, including immigration, China, NATO, etc. Yeah, well, and by proven, he means. Um, but I, I do want to talk a little more when we come forward. I do want to talk a little bit more about immigration because it is an issue that has been um, prickly, in the black community, I feel like it's getting more so right now, this election cycle. Um, that is going to be something we are going to have to look at. And that and, of course, the disaster in Gaza and um, the Biden administration's approach to that are both going to play very, very heavily in this this election cycle. I want to get your thoughts and insights on that as well. You're listening to Dr. Gerald Horn with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. A safe place to go loud, loud. A great place for progressive politics. KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. And we do have a lot to talk about, and we're doing it with Dr. Gerald Horn. Um, always, always a pleasure to talk with you, Dr. Horn. We're going to, uh, hopefully the KBLA delegation is going to pack out your book signing at the Center for Black Power. That is Saturday in just a few days from 1 to 3 in Lamert Park, Africa, Town, USA, hosted by our own Dr. Melina Abdullah, celebrating the brand new books, I dare say, a Gerald Horn reader and acknowledging radical histories. Dr. Horn and Chris Time Steel. So you can do all of that um, with us this weekend. Looking forward to it. So when you're talking about, you know, immigration and, and this um, steady um, outcries and, and really, um, I don't want to say hysteria, but freakouts <laughs> by uh, Republicans about the crisis at the border. We do know there's been some... S- according to what at least the reporting that I'm reading, that there's a surge at the border, that we've got folks showing up. Um, but there's a surge on this side, too, with conservatives having these sort of holy war caravans heading to the border, um, Texas defying uh, the feds on, on their border control. And now it seems to have invaded even more the consciousness about black people and whether or not we will support Um, President Biden, even into the reparations conversation where people are framing this, at least on X, as we can't get reparations because we're giving money to immigrants, which seems apples and oranges-y to me. But um, how do you perceive this whole, what's become a very dominant and urgent conversation? It's very distressing particularly what I've been hearing from Black Chicago uh, with regard to those ex-Twitter conversations that you just referenced, then there is the danger of the clash, and I mean armed clash, between Texas forces and the U.S. Border Patrol. The fact that Idaho and other red states are now sending their armed forces to the border. Is that legal? 
I assume that unless the forces are federalized by Mr. Biden, which I don't think he'll do, that the governor of Idaho, I assume, can legally send forces wherever he wants. I assume. The, mm. I'm not really sure. I mean, I just, I, I remember, I just read about, you know, Kenya can't send, can't send cops to Haiti, but Idaho can send cops to Texas. Okay. <laughs> I, it's confusing, but I'm not a lawyer. All right. So you were saying it's distressing because now all these other states um, are sending, I don't know, are they National Guard? Is that what they're sending? Yeah, that's my understanding. Okay. And also, they're the independent forces that you referenced, uh, the so-called Army of God, these Christian evangelicals. Right. Right-wing truckers. Remember, right-wing truckers played a pivotal role in Canada some months ago when they tried to tie up the capital uh, on their uh, anti-COVID vaccine uh, campaign. And so the situation is really spinning out of control. Now, with regard to black people, I'd like to... Uh, warn black people that even though it appears that the immigrants are now being targeted, uh, that can possibly just set a precedent that will then allow for the targeting of us, that is to say, black people. Um, And we should not forget that in the 19th century, many of our ancestors were trying to flee into Latin America, particularly Mexico. And that was a factor leading to Texas seeking to secede from the United States of America because Mexico would not return the enslaved Africans across the border, uh, which led Texas to try to secede from the United States because they thought the United States was not moving aggressively enough to back up Texas in that regard. So it's a very complicated, emotion-driven issue, and it does not bode well. I, for me, I can't even understand how it's legal for your governor... (laughs) Governor Abbott, I don't mean to blame you personally for him, but the Texas governor and others to send migrants across borders. Isn't that human trafficking or, I don't know, man act? Or, it just seems like it should be illegal. It's, But that's, you know, I think that is adding to that conversation and perception in places like Texas. I mean, uh, excuse me, Chicago. Well, there, there's, there are lawsuits, as I understand it, with regard to Governor Abbott uh, busing uh, migrants to Denver, to to Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, exactly. Which we're already uh, a border state, so why are you sending us your folks? And and of course, the the courts are dominated by the right wing. So even if it uh, is ruled upon by the courts, uh, I don't think we can be optimistic uh, about uh, the migrants prevailing uh, in court. So it, it's. It's, it's really a dire situation. It, it's, it's really sad, too, because I've seen pictures of migrants in New York City uh, sleeping shoeless in the snow, for example, because there's not enough space in homeless shelters for them. Well, I mean, but there's that. not enough space in homeless shelters for people that are already here. I mean, I think that's part of what, what part of why this is hitting the way it is, my analysis, for black people is because we do have, you know, Office of New Americans. We do have, you know, shelters to the extent that we have them and detention, which isn't great, for people that are seeking asylum here. Um, and, and black people are dying on the streets, homeless. That's true. I mean, part of the complication is the fact that if you look at 
many of the migrants are from Venezuela. We know that there's been this campaign against Venezuela uh, going back uh, towards the regime of Mr. Trump that has not uh, dissipated. Uh, about a third of Venezuela's population has been heading north. And certainly, if we want to do something ultimately about this migrant issue, we're going to have to change U.S. foreign policy towards Venezuela, for example. Now, I, I thought that that was in motion uh, because there had been a deal worked out for Venezuela to release some U.S. nationals that they had been holding in prison. But apparently, uh, I was mistaken, and the sanctions against Venezuela continue, and the economic situation there continues to decompose. Yeah, that surprised me, too, because it sounded like they were trying to have some kind of diplomatic reapproachment since they need that oil and stuff. <laughs> I heard it was all about the oil. Um, but the the Biden foreign policy um, continues to be very conservative. Well, you know what I think. I think that part of the problem with the Democratic Party is that uh, there are not that many black voices weighing in on Democratic Party foreign policy. Mm. Not that many black voices weighing in on Venezuela. You have a lot of uh, black intellectuals who hide under their desks when it comes to commenting on Gaza, for example, because they don't want to be hounded. Or by fired. Zionists. Or fired, like what happened to the president of Harvard University, yep. for example. So I, I, I understand that point of view, and I'm not unsympathetic, but the problem is that uh, it gives too much power and potency to the neocons in the Democratic Party. Mm. For example, Victoria Newland, who's a top leader in the State Department, to name one amongst many. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I kind of feel like that as progressives, or even Democrats who aren't progressive, they're going to have to face the music as far as whether it's perception-driven or whether it's actually reality-based, they're going to have to face the music that there are lots of black Americans who feel like you are more concerned about making sure that, you know, asylum seekers, refugees, immigrants are fed and clothed and, and in tents than, than black people. I, th I think that's something... Whatever you think about that analysis, that Democrats and progressives are going to have to deal with it because that um, has always been there and it feels like it's gaining traction right now. Well, certainly. I mean, I think obviously the United States, uh, still carrying the title as the richest country in the world, has enough resources to deal with both issues. Yep. But obviously there is a logjam uh, with regard to dealing with both issues because you have a Republican Party base that operates in a demagogic manner towards the migrant question and operates with a demagogic manner towards domestic spending on housing, on health care, and on education. And that's the stumbling block. And, of course, you have uh, weaknesses within the Democratic Party base and coalition as well on both issues. Yeah. I think that's right. Okay, look, we've got Dwight from Compton on the phone. I know he's not going to be able to hit it before uh, <laughs> news traffic and sports, but at least you can start. You can ask your question uh, to Dr. Gerald Horn. Go ahead, Dwight. Thank you, Dominique. Good morning, Dr. Horn. Uh, thank you for all the great information you give us, Dominique. Uh, thank you. Uh, happy Black History Month uh, starting tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Horn, uh, your information is so correct. These Republicans say one thing and do another thing. They, they uh, try to take credit for things that they, they uh, vote against, 
and then they go to the ribbon cutting ceremony. So um, it, 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 they're just liars and domestic terrorists. Basically, they do everything to attack our company, our country, and then turn around and try to t- take credit for the things that the Democrats try to force through uh, with blood, sweat, and tears. But Dominique, I know you got to cut right now, so I'll. I'll uh, finish whatever comments I have on the other end. Okay, well, we got 60 seconds. You want to respond, uh, Dr. Horn, to what Dwight said? Well, Dwight is right on. He should be running for office, in fact. And maybe, yeah, Dwight, you're going to run? <laughs> oh, no, I I, I, I probably would, uh, would get attacked, too, but they probably send people after me. Uh, I'm scared enough just to call in, Dominique. <laughs> yeah. But I do support uh, everything I can uh, as far as the uh, KBLH uh, tells me to go to events and things like that and sign surveys and vote. I do everything I can on that end. I love it. Well, you know, you know, you, then we'll see you on Saturday <laughs> at the Center for Black Power where Dr. Gerald Horn will be signing books, lecturing, probably chopping it up with the people there. And that's in Lamert Park, Africatown, USA, right at Crenshaw and 43rd Place, not 43rd Street, 43rd Place, right there where the um, Lamert Park Metro stop is. I'm Dominique DePrima with Dr. Gerald Horn for KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. Talking with uh, Dr. Joe Horn and you, 800-920-1580, 800-920-1580. If you want to get in the conversation, you are always welcome around here. And I want to... Um, I want to give uh, Dwight from Compton a chance to land, of course, Dr. Gerald Horn, author of more than 30 books. He is a professor and he's a a YouTube uh, influencer as well. You just go to YouTube, type in his name, and you'll see a bunch of his lectures. You can come hear him in person if you're in Los Angeles on Saturday, 1 to 3, at the Center for Black Power in Lamert Park, Africatown, USA. Uh, so, Dwight, go ahead and land, um, or if you want to direct a question toward uh, Dr. Horn, go ahead and do that. Yeah. Yes, Dr. Horn, again, thank you for all the great information. And, Dominique, th- these Republicans are such liars, and they're basically uh, domestic terrorists. It's so obvious that they say one thing uh, on TV and then do another thing. Uh, and, and a lot of these things, to me, Dominique, I know we're not a religious show in the Bible, when Satan tried to overthrow uh, let insurrection in heaven, God kicked him out. So uh, basically, uh, the, the 14th Amendment says if you try to lead an insurrection against America, you cannot hold any government office. And so they try to find any way they can to, to, to not follow the U.S. Constitution. Uh, these fake Christians uh, don't, don't follow the Bible. So, Dr. Horn, thank you for keep putting the truth out there. And Dominique, thank you for the great information you, you give us uh, every day. Thank you, guys. Thank KBLA for the great information they've given us. Take it away, Dr. Horn. Thank you, Dwight. <laughs> well, I think Dwight has a point with regard to the 14th Amendment uh, barring insurrectionists from high office. Interestingly enough, in California, Shirley Weber, the Secretary of State, has ruled otherwise, suggesting that Mr. Trump should be allowed on the ballot in California. But, of course, since we know he's going to lose California, I'm not sure if that's going to be that meaningful. And the same decision was made in Illinois, and we know he's going to lose uh, Illinois as well. Now, 
the, the point is, however, is that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to rule on whether Colorado has been uh, properly uh, preventing him from being on the ballot in that state, along with Maine. And there's a possibility that he could win those two states. And that's where the rubber will hit the road. And I dare say that uh, the U.S. Supreme Court will probably rule in Mr. Trump's favor. Yeah, I'll be surprise. surprised if they don't. Yeah, surprise, surprise. But um, interesting points, because I guess in that sense, California uh, dodges, you know, uh, dodges a later problem by keeping him on the ballot, because if the Supreme Court says he has to stay, he's already on our ballot, and uh, most of us don't really care, because we're not going to vote for him anyway. Um, so many things, so little time, Dr. Horn. I know, talk to me about um, South Africa's uh, case at the UN um, charging Israel with genocide and and what their ruling really means because to me it sounded like you know try to do better but then of course that's a preliminary decision and there's this will, will could last for years right it could last for years but on the other hand it was a profound significance i think that those of us who were toiling in the vineyards during the dark days of apartheid we should feel vindicated because the African National Congress government, which has been under severe criticism uh, by many of those who supported them uh, in the pre-1994 era, has vindicated our support. And even if you accept the critique of their detractors, that is to say there's an election coming up in South Africa, and supposedly the ANC government is seeking to pander to the sentiments of the electorate by dragging Israel before the International Court of Justice, well, actually, that speaks well for the electorate, that that issue uh, plays well with the uh, black majority uh, in South Africa. On the other hand, uh, Israel is going to have to report to the International Court of Justice within 30 days as to what they've been doing with regard to alleviating the humanitarian disaster in Gaza. Uh, we don't expect them actually to comply, and of course, they'll be protected by the United States when their refusal to comply is referred to the United Nations Security Council when the United States wills a veto. But what we need to realize is that there is a special maneuver in the General Assembly that includes 190-plus nations, which under a certain formula could vote to sanction Israel, could vote to expel Israel from the United Nations and move to expel it from other multilateral agencies and bodies. And ultimately... Uh, I think it was noteworthy that South Africa joined the United States and the U.K., Great Britain, as aiders and abettors of Israel. And therefore, Washington and London should be concerned as well, which brings me to the recent trip to Africa of U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. I don't find it coincidental that uh, Mr. Blinken visited Angola. Now, you might recall that a few decades ago, the United States was campaigning against Angolan independence up to and including uh, supporting and supplying rebels who were fighting with arms in hand. But now I think they're trying to woo Angola as a part of this antipathy towards South Africa. So the plot becomes ever more complicated. That is complicated. One thing that I was struck by when I was in South Africa uh, in 2023 is that uh, just regular 
I talked to a lot of regular South Africans, like, you know, people, workers, whatever. And they were, many of them uh, were to my analysis to the left of the ANC, feeling like um, they needed to take a harder line in you know, finishing the job of getting rights and um, really reparations uh, for black South Africans. Oh, certainly. And I'm sure you heard the latest news is that former President Jacob Zuma has been suspended from the ANC because he's supporting a party, the so-called MK party, that's running against the ANC in the upcoming elections. And by the way, the New York Times has been misleading its readers about South Africa. Uh, they suggested that many Jewish South Africans were opposed to the South African petition against Israel, but they didn't point out is that many Jewish South Africans were not necessarily supporting Zionism during the days of apartheid. They were opposed to Israel because of its nuclear collaboration with the apartheid regime, because of its being in bed with the apartheid regime. And so to suggest that Jewish South Africans as a bloc or hostile to the ANC government, I thought was terribly misleading. Hmm. Well, that I couldn't speak on because I'm not familiar, but it's it's an interesting dynamic and... It's a reminder that even our mm, more legit news agencies require some uh, further investigation and media literacy, right? Well, l let me give you some names. Uh, Joe Slovo, Lithuanian Jewish descent, he was the head of the armed wing of the ANC, one of Mandela's closest comrades. Uh, he, of course, was quite critical of Israel, as was his late spouse, uh, Ruth First, blown up by a letter bomb from the apartheid authorities while she was in exile in Mozambique. She had a similar position. She, too, was Jewish. Ronnie Caswell's Jewish, who, of course, was also part of the arm wing of the ANC. He's still in the land of the living. He's been campaigning against uh, Israeli depredations in Gaza, marching against Israel in the streets of Pretoria. So this, this is what I mean about when having to monitor even the so-called legitimate media. Yeah, and it well, is that why you read what I don't know? I think it's seven or eight papers a day. Well, if not more, because not you more. have to see if, if there's a consistent line or a consistent through line, and oftentimes there's not a consistent through through line. Um, yeah, I, I find I, I don't read seven or eight, I probably should, but um, I find if I go to the like the Wall Street Journal or the Daily Weekly Standard, something that I consider pretty far to the right. And then I look at the Nation or the Huffington Post. Just by that range and the different way they report, I'm able to ascertain a lot of the time what's really going on. Oh, sure. And uh, the, the Nation, I, I think, has been upholding the progressive banner, generally speaking, particularly with regard to Israel, which is no easy matter since they're headquartered in New York, which is the headquarters of Zionism, which helps to account for the fact why so many black New York politicians have been unsteady and wavering on this issue, including Mayor Eric Adams, who, of course, uh, may be defeated in the upcoming election. I mean, but Mayor Eric Adams is black, but he's no progressive. Well, to put it mildly, but I'm also <laughs> thinking of... Yeah, he's uh, like their Gregory. Villanueva. <laughs> Sorry, you're I'm also, also thinking of uh, Gregory Meeks, the member of the Congressional Black Caucus from Southeast Queens, and mm. Speaker-in-Waiting, Hakeem Jeffries, for example, uh, the commentator, Reverend L. Sharpton. All of them have been quite unsteady on this Gaza question. Mm. 
We're talking with Dr. Gerald Horn and you. You can be brave like Dwight from Compton and call 800-920-1580. Otherwise, don't worry about it. I've got us covered. You are listening to Unapologetically Progressive KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Broadcasting live from Lamar Park, USA. Welcome back to your home for unapologetically progressive radio, KBLA Talk 1580. We are talking with uh, Dr. Gerald Horn. Man, I don't know how we're going to get all this in uh, in one uh, in one segment here, Dr. Horn. But you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, Blinken's trip to Africa, and we've intermittently talked about how the United States is trying to solidify their position. You you know your Contrasting that with the relationship now with South Africa, the strained relationship with South Africa, we've even talked about AFRICOM and the U.S. military presence there. Do you think any of that is working? I mean, folks, you know, folks are paranoid about China, um, you know, having a foothold in Africa, but increasingly it's it's become, I feel like it's become more uh, of an international battle increasingly um, over you know, African resources, both mineral and human? Well, I don't think that the U.S. will be able to woo Angola away from the embrace of South Africa. I think the relationship is too close. On the other hand, I think Angola will willingly accept U.S. aid, will willingly (laughs) accept the U.S. proposal to build a railway uh, in Angola. Uh, Why not? Why look a gift horse in the mouth? Now, with regard to Nigeria, which was also part of that trip, that's another story. Because Nigeria, along with India, has been, shall we say, lethargic in coming to the defense of the Palestinians. I think this has something to do with the conflict that the government in Abuja has with the so-called Boko Haram, these religious Mm. zealots who kidnap teenage girls and who portray themselves as being Muslim. And, of course, uh, the uh, Hindu chauvinist government in New Delhi has a similar issue with regard to uh, Islamophobia. And then, of course, uh, Nigeria is jousting with South Africa for leadership on the continent. Uh, Until recently, South Africa had the number one economy. Now Nigeria has the number one economy. I don't know if you recall this film that was released or distributed through Hollywood called District 9, which came out of South Africa, admittedly white South Africa, that portrayed Nigerians is like monsters from outer space. <laughs> I didn't see uh, that. I do remember hearing about it. Now I want to see it. Hey, um, Dr. Dr. Horn, do you have anything that you've seen or you're looking forward to seeing at, at the Pan-African, by the way? Because I know you're a connoisseur of the Pan-African Film Festival. Well, of course I'm going to see the documentary about uh, Amiri Baraka. I'm going to see the documentary about Max Roach, the ah. late, great drummer and percussionist. I'm going to see the documentary Bar Daddy about this black guy who's helped so many uh, black law students pass the bar exam and become lawyers. I'm going to see the documentary Gaining Ground about about black land loss in the South. I'm going to see the documentary called Becoming Black about this woman who we would call black who lives in Germany, uh, who, of course, was mixed heritage, European and African, and how she came to acknowledge the African side of her roots. So that's just... A, and then, of course, <laughs> the opening night is this uh, film called Hip Hop Story, which seems to be 
a sort of play on the life of uh, Russell Simmons, the hip-hop impresario, who I understand is in self-imposed exile in Indonesia, of all places. I don't know if you've heard about that story. Uh, yeah, I, I actually have heard about it. I can't say I've t- done a deep dive. Um, there's so much chaos in hip-hop right now. Um, yeah, but I okay. I don't need to look at my booklet. I can now just go with your <laughs> recommendations. Uh, let's go to Fahima. Uh, excuse me. I want to go to Bobby from L.A., then we'll go to Fahima. Uh, Bobby from L.A., uh, go ahead. Uh, short version, if you would. Hey, Dominic. How are you? Good, good. What's on your mind? Um, Mr. Horner, do you think Mr. Trump will appoint Senator Tim Scott as his VP? And I'll be quick about it. Um, okay. That's an easy question. Uh, <laughs> I think it's possible. Uh, I don't know how much he brings to the ticket because Mr. Trump will probably win uh, New York, excuse me, uh, South Carolina in a romp. He may want to appoint a woman, however, to counter uh, the Vice President uh, Harris, for and example. And that woman wouldn't be Nikki Haley. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> not anymore. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so either. I think he's groveling for no reason. Uh, groveling, getting engaged, and all this, you know, the usual Negro routines. Um, I think he's doing it all for naught, Bobby. We'll get some, uh, we'll, we'll get in a quick, uh, quick other question and some final thoughts from Dr. Horn when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. The station you turn to when you had it up to gear with cultural incompetence. KBLA Talk 1580. The conversation continues right now now, now, with Dominique DePrima on First Things First. Continuing right now and watching my my minutes uh, here with Dr. Gerald Horn Fahima from D.C. Can you do it real quick for me? Yes, really quickly, Habaragani and K-Pasa, Dominique. um, Have you talked about Ilhan Omar? Because I just stepped out of Twitterverse and just tuned in late. Did you talk about Ilhan Omar? No, we have not. We have not talked okay. about it. Okay. Yeah, in the interest of time, could Dr. Horn talk about Ilhan Omar's situation? Oh, as you know, she's of Somali ancestry, the congresswoman from uh, Minneapolis. And she's under fire because what happened is that she weighed in on the controversy between Ethiopia and her ancestral homeland, speaking of Somalia. Somalia is very upset with Ethiopia because it cut a deal with the runaway alleged province of Somaliland in order to get access to the sea. And uh, her detractors in the Republican Congress are now saying that she put Somalia first. I don't know how that works. But also, with regard to the squad, you know that Congresswoman Cori Bush of St. Louis was also black, very progressive, and taking a very progressive position on the ceasefire. She's now being investigated by the U.S. Justice Department. It reminds me of the Fannie Willis case in Atlanta, insofar as part of the issues seems to be her allocating campaign funds for security to her recently wed spouse who has a background in security. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, those things don't sound good uh, on paper, the Fonnie Willis, uh, the Cory Bush. Um, I think it's a little different than Ilhan Omar because it's blatantly political, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really twisting her word. I mean, first of all, there was a translation issue because she was speaking in Somali and the Somali language and then the Somaliland leaders in, in the United States, they did a translation 
that then the Republicans picked up on. And so obviously something was lost in translation. So I, I think that that issue will blow away rather shortly. The Cory Bush and Bonnie Willis cases, I think, are a horse of a different color. I mean, you know, it sounds like they may have made poor decisions. I haven't seen any evidence, but um, it does also feel like a targeting of black women in leadership. Oh, clearly. I mean, e- even the funny Willis case, I think there's an innocent explanation, but I don't know if you'll encounter that even in the uh, so-called legitimate media. And the Cory Bush issue, I mean, here she's facing death threats on a regular basis. Yep. The amount at play is only like $30,000, which is chicken feed in Congress. And the fact that the Justice Department under a Democrat is doing the investigation, uh, you know, something smells. Yeah, it's, um, it, it really is some of the moves of this administration uh, just baffle my mind. We could do a whole show on that. But we don't have time today. Hopefully we'll do it another day. And I will see you Saturday, Dr. Gerald Horn. I will see you Saturday at your book signing in Lamert Park at the Center for Black Power. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for coming, as always. My quote today, we're going to Nelson Mandela. If you talk, oh, talking about South Africa, he says, it always seems impossible until it's done. Ha, huh. put that in your pipe and smoke it, L.A. County. I'm Dominique DePrima. Tavis Smiley is up next. He's got a stack show for you today, too. It's Wednesday. Why not? Don't forget to tap in with me at social media, KBLA1580 on every platform. Find me at DePrima Radio, D-I-P-R-I-M-A, and then radio. Until tomorrow, one love.